Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck out as Stanton goes down. And that's eight strikeouts for Shane McClanahan. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Good afternoon. Welcome to our latest show. Today, Jalen Beeks discusses his comeback from Tommy John surgery and what it was like to be traded at the deadline. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joins us from Detroit. We'll visit with prospect Shane Sasaki and review the trading deadline with the Rays' Eric Neander as well as Kevin Eibach. Well, we continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our featured guest this week is someone who understands what uh, trading deadline day is all about and also has made a remarkable comeback from Tommy John surgery. That's Jalen Beeks. Jalen, thanks for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Tell me, first of all, what you remember. Think back to when you were traded to the Rays from the Red Sox on deadline day. Yeah, uh, it was a little chaotic. Obviously, yeah, deadline day, so, uh, you know, you're kind of like, am I going to Am I going to stay? Am I going to be here for another year or so? Or uh, what's going on? Uh, because at the time, I was there were some rumors. Maybe Dombrowski was getting rid of all the prospects. The Red Sox about to go for you know World Series. So you know that's kind of I kind of fit in that role of maybe being traded. Uh, and then uh, it happened pretty quick. Got a call that morning. Said you've been traded to the Rays. Appreciate you. Next day, that night, I'm on a flight. I left my wife and kids to pick up the house we were renting in AAA, and I came over to Tampa. How difficult was it? Were you surprised? What were, and how easy was it to get comfortable here? Because we always hear that from so many players. I don't know if I was surprised. Obviously, you're a little surprised when you get traded. I don't think you can really just be completely prepared. But, you know, you just kind of say, okay, what do I do now? It was a little bit tough uh, just to leave my wife, two kids. I had an infant son at the time a toddler and just okay you guys pick up for me I got to be on a flight in a couple hours uh, we actually went to Baltimore to meet the team so it's very it's very hectic a little crazy but uh, once I got to the team you know this clubhouse still is last four years five years is one of the more relaxed clubhouses and I would say just friendly and welcoming clubhouse it's an easy clubhouse to get comfortable in to open up to other guys because in the end you're with these guys Eight, eight, ten hours a day. So you got. It's nice to be comfortable with the guys you're around a lot. How much does that help? Do you think performance on the field, the comfort level, and also guys acclimating because you acquire a guy like a David Peralta, who's a Siri right in the middle of the season. That's not easy to adjust. Yeah, and absolutely for young guys, especially just making it up. They're not already not comfortable. They're seeing if they're good enough to make it in the big leagues. Uh, you come up, and you don't want to put any added pressure on any guys getting traded over, whether they're vets or young guys or any guys getting called up. And this clubhouse specifically just puts them in the best position possible. They don't put any unneeded pressure on them, and they just make them as comfortable as possible so they can perform on the field. Most guys put pressure on themselves, though. Did you, because you were traded for such a good big leaguer in Nathan? Um, I wouldn't say I put pressure on myself more than I already did. If that's fair, uh, I, I've always put, I've always expected a lot of myself, and I put pressure on myself because I think I do well under pressure. I think that's how you become better. That's how you are become molded, I guess, into who you want to be, and you have to do some self molding, I guess. Uh, so I, I do put myself under pressure, but that's just part of the game, I think. When did you start to feel fully comfortable at the big leagues? 
and certainly here too. Fully comfortable. I mean, maybe 2020. It took me. It took me a while. I had some ups and downs. You know, early 2019, I felt good. I think I went through some mechanical changes. I mean, I struggled with that for a little bit in 2019, and that created some doubt that kind of crept into my mind. And I had to control that uh, going into 2020. But I think I finally got comfortable, really comfortable in 2020 with how to get big leaguers out, I guess, because you do have to change and adapt uh, here. There's not very many guys that are just absolutely talented enough to just compete immediately. You have to be able to adjust. When, you know, you had the Tommy John surgery and made an amazing uh, recovery, what are you most proud of in that recovery? I mean, there's a lot of things. I think I've put, I took the, you know, it ended up being a year and a half because of the timeline. I got hurt at the end of 2020. Um, I had a lot of time. I could could have just thought of it, you know, just get the arm healthy and get back to the same me because I was pitching pretty good in 2020. I ended up, I know there's some injuries, but I still got to pitch well and some leverage there uh, at the end of 2020. So I could have just sat on that. Um, I would say I'm proud of myself and grateful uh, that I wanted to come back better than I was. I had some things I wanted to clean up uh, mechanically, lower half. I wanted to be stronger than I was, more flexible more explosiveness so that I could I really wanted to chase uh, velocity coming into this year so I would just say I'm glad that I didn't just stay put after having a good end to 2020 and sit on it for a year and a half so how do you change velocity because you're up I mean I'm seeing you hit 97 a whole lot more regularly than you ever did yeah I think uh part of it's I mean getting my arm healthy is obviously a huge part of that where I'm not it's not hurting every time I throw a baseball that can when you're gritting your teeth and having to throw a baseball, it's kind of hard to chase velo. You're really just chasing health. But I trusted uh, my trainers uh, a lot to improve, especially like rotator cuff strength and just total body strength, I guess. And then I've worked a lot on just getting more explosive, a lot more med ball work. I used uh, weighted balls, made some changes, just things like that uh, to put my body in a better position. You and you also have kind of changed your fastball cutter and change up. You're more like... I would say primal, like fastball changeup now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would like to start getting the cutter back involved a little bit, but I did. Coming into this year, I wanted to chase maximizing fastball and changeup velocity and movement. And I wanted to simplify it, and I thought that if I just figure out those two things, I could be a good big leader. I think I'm like 98% fastball changeup this year, right? So, uh, And I've pitched pretty well. I do think with having a cutter or another slider, curveball, something moving glove side will open up the other two. But I really wanted to concentrate on the fastball changeup and just maximizing what they can do for me. How have you appreciated about the way the Rays have managed you, I guess, Colin, too? I mean, you guys are both coming back from Tommy John, and you've been able to stay on the field, and I think they've been careful with how often they pitch you, too. Absolutely. Very thankful for that. Uh, they've done a great job. It's hard to do in a big league season. It's not the minors where you're not worrying about wins or losses, just what you can do down the road. It's win now, especially for the Rays. You know, we're in a playoff hunt, uh, and I appreciate just how they've – just how, like you said, they've uh, given me days off when I've needed it, uh, been careful with me, haven't pushed me or Colin very much. Uh, obviously, that's going to change next year, hopefully, you know, because sometimes it is frustrating being like, I want to pitch, but at the same time, you, you you have the statistics. Like, if we push you too much, you can have a relapse, like your arm could, whatever could happen, right? You're still adjusting to getting back to a big league, performing in the big leagues for a full season. So I'm very thankful for the Rays and how they've uh, handled it. Are you hoping? How do you feel with two months to go, or approximately two months? And we hope a third month too. Yeah. I feel good right now. I mean, I'm. I obviously had a little leg problem there, but I feel great. Arm feels great. Velocity is holding good, so the numbers are good. Everything's just moving in the right direction, and really, I just want to bottle it up and keep doing it. How much of you know the good? You seem to be in a good mental state too. Is just you've also got a great thing going with your family. You got three kids now, so a dad of three. How much does that ease things? going to and from the ballpark absolutely it's uh you know they always say when you get to the big leagues you gotta be able to shut off uh when you go home you can't bring your work home that's a lot of a lot of jobs right and I've, i'm happy that i've been able to do that you know i forget that i'm a baseball player and i become you know try to be the best husband i could be to my wife best father i can be to my kids and just enjoy them and get to love on them and it's uh it's peaceful i guess does it help, too, to have a lot of bullpen mates who are in a similar situation? Pete Fairbanks now has two. Brooks Raley has four. 
Uh, Jason Adam has yeah. three kids. Does it help to have guys who, I guess, are in similar stages of life? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we sit down there for sometimes three hours and don't pitch, so we got to have something to talk about. Uh, we watch the game, but, you know, a lot of times we're talking about our kids and our wives and just what's going on with them. Uh, and it's, you know, we're giving advice to each other, and this works for me, this works for me. But it's just, it, it is nice uh, to be able to relate to your teammates like that, especially the bullpen. And, you know, we say Brooks is like the grandpa. He's the old one. But it's just nice to have so many kids down there. Uh, and I family day was awesome with the kids just running chaos, chaos on the field. It was just it was a good time. Now, do you have a home here? I know at one point you had a, a mobile home, didn't you? Or you still have that? I, I do not have it. We had the third kid and uh, wife vetoed that, uh, got that out of there. So we sold that. But uh, in 2021, we did have uh, RV and it was it was a lot of fun getting to move around. Uh, I was injured, obviously, so it was a little easier to live in it. But um, I wouldn't mind getting it back at some point. I like being able to move around uh, St. Pete, Tampa area, but we'll see. You, uh, I guess, do you have an RV at home or no RV back there, or you just do a lot of fishing, hunting, family stuff? Yeah, just things like that. We no longer have the RV. Maybe in a couple of years we can do that. We like traveling. We like doing stuff, you know, like – my son's getting old enough to where he can start fishing, golfing. We like to golf. I like sports. So we just try to kind of do that stuff. Last year, they finally were able to appreciate going to college basketball games, college football games. Uh, but we like doing that as a family and going to those sorts of things. So I would assume you go to your alma mater, is that right? Yep. Yep. We go there a lot. Got to see a lot of, sadly, not baseball, uh, but basketball and football last year. And uh, in terms of, you know, this year, you guys are still waiting on some guys to come back. Mm-hmm. We passed the training deadline, but what would it mean to get Nick back, to get JT back, to add to this group and thicken up this bullpen even more? Absolutely. I mean, those guys, if, when they were healthy, were dominant. We're ex- everybody's excited to get those guys back. And obviously, it's not just us making trades at the deadline, the uh, Yankees, Blues, everybody's making trades in our division. Uh, and having those guys back will be uh, just tremendous and hopefully uh, get us over the edge and get us going for playoffs. One other thing, I, you know, a previous episode I was chatting with Ryan Thompson. He told me that you helped him really connect him to a charity that he got involved with. Tell us about that and how you got involved. Yeah, so the, it's called Second Milk. I got involved, man, probably 2014, the year I was drafted. Came to our uh, church small group and shared what they did in uh, Africa, which is pretty much getting um, food, milk for malnourished babies over there really really tough place to live a lot of times the women or the moms can't uh, either afford to feed their kids uh, they're so malnourished they can't produce breast milk die in childbirth there's so many things and then the babies are left just to die you know and there's a need over there and uh, um, I guess this uh, charity takes care of that they go over there and they also share the gospel and uh, share about Jesus and try to make their lives better from a spiritual and physical need. And so I shared that with Ryan. I've shared that with quite a few guys. Joey Wendell is involved, uh, Jason Adam. A lot of guys have talked to uh, the CEO of the non-denomination or non-profit. So it's been uh, really impactful, and uh, obviously it's a big part of our lives. Ryan got to go over there to Africa and see that, so it's been pretty amazing. Well, great to see you doing wonderful work. Off the field and on it, too. Continued success, and we appreciate some time on this week in Race Baseball. Thank you. That's Jalen Beeks, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back. Neil Solon's with you on this week in Rays Baseball. Now joined from Detroit by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, who's had quite the week during this the trading deadline week. Topper, thanks very much for a few minutes. Anytime, Neil. Always a treat to talk to you. Tell me what your biggest takeaways were from deadline week from a Rays perspective, and we'll hear from Eric Neander in a little bit, but in terms of maybe what happened and didn't happen. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it was disappointing because they obviously made two pickups in David Peralta and Jose Siri, and Jose Siri being a guy they think can be a, a pretty key player for them for a number of years. But I, I think they were connected to some of the bigger names. Uh, I thought there were some obvious needs that, for various reasons, and Eric Gander was very uh, patient and thoughtful in explaining why they didn't, but they didn't add a pitcher. They didn't add a catcher. Those were two things I thought they would address uh, and maybe had the opportunity to and didn't Wilson Contreras, obviously not getting traded by the Cubs. But, uh, again, more of an offensive catcher. And while the Rays could use offensive help, we know how important defense is to them, and they couldn't put a guy back there if he wasn't going to fit in defensively. So I was a little surprised they didn't do more. Uh, the Jose Siri thing kind of blindsided me, as I think many others. Uh, but, you know, with Kevin Kiermeyer's future uncertain, with Brett Phillips and Josh Lowe struggling, I kind of get it. The fact that he might be their guy now for four or five years, maybe they changing of the guards. Indeed. And you wrote about the guy who would be here more than likely short-term in David Peralta today in the Tampa Bay Times. And for people who don't know his story, it's obviously a, a fabulous thing to investigate and inform uh, fans in Tampa Bay about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful story. When, when the Rays got David Peralta, I kind of remembered uh, a little bit about it and, and obviously did some research. And David was great in his sharing his time and talking about it. And I reached out to Chris Kamenucci, the scout from the Diamondbacks, who played an integral role in signing David. And look, you know, I could, I mean, these kind of stories, you know, you, just, you enjoy researching them, you enjoy writing them, you enjoy you know, talking about them after the fact. I hope people do read it in today's Tampa Bay Times or on TampaBay.com. But it's a guy that was told no uh, many times and was left to make his own decisions and, you know, had personal suffering and financial suffering, uh, you know, just married, putting his wife, her, her having to work two jobs to support them. Uh, going away for long fits of the time, but a guy who was started his career as a pitcher, got relief after a couple surgeries, spent a year out of baseball, basically taking batting practice against his wife, former college softball player now at least, so mm-hmm. obviously she was able to throw to him, but still not how you would expect to spend your 23-, 24-year-old year when you're trying to be a pro baseball player. Took a part-time job at McDonald's to make money to go play and independently played three years. Neil, you, you've been in the minor leagues. You know how tough that is for guys. This guy played three years in independent league ball uh, for, for basically like expense money is all you really get there. And then ends up getting signed by the Diamondbacks at age 25, sent to A-ball in July of 2013. June 1st, 2014, he makes his big league debut, and he's been a big leaguer for nine years. He got a $22 million contract. He's won a gold glove. He's won a silver slugger. He's traded to the Rays as a veteran hired gun to help lead them to the promised land. I mean, what a story for a guy that was, was told no. What an incredible, uh, you know, just salute to his perseverance. No doubt. And, and a great example for the players that the Rays have. And as you also wrote about today, they're trying to replace a lot, even their celebrations in-house with all the guys they've lost, from KK to Phillips and on and on. Yeah, you know, Brandon Lau had a homer the other night here in Detroit and, and kind of asked him after the game, and I said, look, I'm obviously not a very good reporter. I didn't notice who took your helmet off. How did that work? And he kind of laughed. He goes, no one took my helmet off, but at least I felt better I didn't miss it. But he <laughs> said they kind of decided not to do that. He, they said that was a Brett Phillips thing. We know it actually started as a Willie Adonis thing, uh, but they're not going to do that anymore, at least from what uh, Brandon said. And post game, you know, that was kind of Kevin Kiermeyer's thing for a couple of years, kind of the MC of the – post-game party uh, in the locker room, kind of like when you and David Andy get together and you run the show and yes. the disco ball splashing. And uh, KK was kind of the master of ceremonies. He's been out for a while. Brett Phillips took those duties over, and they're still kind of figuring out, but they're going to have like kind of a rotating player of the game and different guys talking. And it's important that, uh, from what Brandon said, kind of serving as the team spokesman, that, yeah, they continue celebrating wins. They're just trying to figure out how to do it a little differently. And look, you're around the team a lot, Neil, and I'll seriously, some guys are more shy, more outgoing than others. Uh, there's some language barrier, so it'll be interesting, depending on kind of who the star of the game is, how that works. But, you know, they're trying to figure their way out. and It's just funny the voids that different trades leave or different moves leave, and who would have thought? The question is, who's going to lead the postgame celebration? But they're figuring that one out. And part of that is injury-related. And even Kyle Snyder, the Rays pitching coach, 
I guess we found out last night is not even immune to this, huh? I, I don't know what could have been a more fitting like metaphor for the way this season has got. I, if I counted right, I think 18 different pitchers have been on the IL at some point, and, and now the pitching coach and took a couple steps out of the dugout, felt his calf pop. I can tell you, we saw him this morning. Uh, he is getting around okay. He's got some tape on it. He's got a, a sleeve on it. Uh, he's going to be slow. He said those mound visits are going to take a little bit longer. He's going to have to kind of, you know, make a little bit more of a, an effort to get out there. But he's going to stay out there. He's going to be a gamer on this. Uh, it's just kind of what a, what a uh, like I said, a metaphor for how this season has gone. It is. And we're about maybe two weeks away from getting some significant guys back, I would think, in terms of potentially Manuel Margot and others. That makes this stretch here pretty darn important, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the idea, and, and um, Eric Neander said this a couple times, the idea that they need to kind of stay above water, you know, hold the fort, whatever phrase you want to use, until uh, they get those guys back and then see where they go. So, Manuel Margot, August 20th, has been kind of the target date. I would assume in the next few days we'll get an update on exactly what his schedule is, you know, when he's going to start playing rehab games. Uh, and then Wander Franco and Harold Ramirez, in theory, aren't going to be much behind that. Kevin Cass was asked today, he said there were no updates. Uh, but I would assume if nothing else, when the Rays get home and we see those guys, we'll get a little better sense of how that works. But if those three guys are coming back into the lineup uh, relatively soon, I think they are going to feel pretty good. Just seeing how it's been lengthened out by adding Peralta, Jose Siri, even though he hasn't gotten off to a great start yet, uh, having Francisco Mejia back. I mean, there were some days, Neil, where, you know, nothing against those guys personally, but there were like three or four, quote-unquote, major league hitters in there and four or five guys were – you wonder if they were going to get any hits in a certain game against a certain pitcher. So now I think they're back to six guys, maybe seven guys, and then they should be able to add to that a little more. And they may get some pitchers back too, but one little bit of news for you. We did hear today that Matt Whistler, still no progress, still feeling some issues with the neck. Played catch once, not feeling good. So his hope to return, he actually told us there was a chance he'd see the team in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. That is not going to happen. Okay. And then we got about a minute, Mark. How important is today? To, to for this team, the way they have played and struggled on the road the last couple of months to get a series win in Detroit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, you, the answer you get from a lot of the guys is any win's going to matter. But I agree with you that just to, to at least to win a road series rather than tie it will be the first time they've done that since the break. It is a hot, sweaty day. I think we're going to get pitch counts on uh, Drew Rasmussen and jersey change counts because he sweated through, I think he said it was three or four shirts in uh, Kansas City, and it's just as hot here today. But yeah, they, they also, you know, we, they need to get the offense going. I mean, I'm starting to feel like I, I've written three or four times now, hey, they look like they're out of their slump when they have a good game or two, and they resort right back to it, leaving the bases loaded in the first inning last night. The first sign of a bad omen, right? It stayed that way the uh-huh. whole day. Mark, good stuff. We appreciate some time, and thanks for being with us on This Week in Race Baseball. Anytime, Neil. Always a highlight. You got it. That's Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us from Detroit. Let's turn our attention over to the minor league side and our feature interview this week with one Shane Sasaki, a 2019 draft pick out of high school in Hawaii and playing really well in Charleston. Shane, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's touch on the year you've had. What's allowed you to make a really big jump with Charleston this year? What have you been most pleased with in terms of the way you've played? I think... Just getting me out in the full season for the first time is just really all I really wanted and needed. Um, I just kind of in the rookie ball level for the past three years since I've been drafted. So just what I'm really excited about and most proud of is just uh, playing a full season, you know, making sure I take care of my body throughout uh, playing five to six times a week is what like really is the difference between playing a rookie ball and playing in the full season. You know, I look at your numbers across the board, and obviously every everything is taking a big jump. You're hitting for a higher average. You're getting on base more. You're stealing a ton of bases. Are you more pleased with the base running, the outfield play, the the defense? Where have you made the big jump from a playing standpoint? Just my discipline of play, just uh, getting more bats in, really allowing me to see the ball better and really just uh, become a better hitter. Uh, base running always kind of has that defense. Always still works on it, but I always kind of had that too. It's, there's always room to improve in my base running defense, but hitting's where I see the most improvement this year, just getting more of that. Did you make a lot of changes with your approach and the way you hit? What would When you were drafted out of high school in Hawaii, how different is that from the guy you are right now? Oh, so different. The, the level, the gap in the levels are 
huge coming from Hawaii to pro ball. And I really had a lot of time to make that adjustment from my first year of rookie ball. I went to Australia and I was just getting carved up. And finally, last year was the only really good year I had. And that's when we really simplified my swing, kind of just went to the basics and the fundamentals and created an approach. And now I'm just building off that from last year. So describe that approach for me. What What is your setup like? What are the types of things? Are you, are is it kind of short and quick and taking advantage of your speed? What are the things that you're doing now? Uh, yeah, just really simple. So before I had a lot of moving parts. Now I kind of made it simple as possible. Um, just a simple toe pat, eliminate movement just so I can see the ball better. Because what they really liked was I had a good eye-hand coordination where um, I could drive balls and have a good two-strike approach, but I've been striking out a lot. So it was kind of weird that I had you know, good eye-hand coordination, but I was striking out a lot and it was just due to me not seeing the ball well because I had a lot of moving parts. And so when I really kind of made it simple simple, and I allowed myself to see the ball better, I was able to put, put together better at bats. And you mentioned that the defense was always a, an area where you excel. Do you enjoy being in, in center field? And, and obviously this is an organization that takes a lot of pride in its defense. Oh yeah, I love being out and um, playing defense. I, I really enjoy like getting better at defense. It's one of those things, like especially we had uh, we have KK in the center field and the guy I look up to. I talked to him. I had a chance to talk to him in spring training this year, and we had a really good talk just because he loves defense. I understood that I love defense, so we had a really good talk. And you touched on being from Hawaii. You're not the first Rays draftee from Hawaii. The Rays had Keen Wong several years back too. What's the biggest adjustment from a cultural standpoint, from being, you know, moving from the islands to, to the United States and, and just the game overall? You mentioned how different it is. Yeah, the environment is definitely a culture shock from being from Hawaii to I was in Florida for the most part, so Florida. I don't know. It's been so long. I really forget how I felt that my first year in Florida, but because now I've seen normal, but I would just say, I don't know, just the environment's different, and, but you get used to it. I really forget like how I really felt when I first came uh, to pro ball. Because from a family standpoint, I know the family is very important in Hawaii. In fact, you and I think, you know, I go back to Kia and he kind of really helped a guy like Willie Adamas adapt to the United States and helped him pick up the language. And I think being so far away from a distance standpoint, sometimes players from Hawaii are really good. And I've heard you've been great with the Spanish speaking players here, too. Yeah, well, my fir- I remember my first day in pro ball, um, I, I signed really late um, because I had a collapsed lung. And so I signed really late. And when I did sign my first day, I only saw a bunch of Latin players for the first like hour of my time with the race because everybody had cars that were American. They had cars, so they had their own rides. So from the shuttle, I just started talking to the Latin guys and then yeah, like an hour into practice, that's when I met like the first American guy that spoke English. So the, I just kind of was introduced to Latin very early on, and I really enjoyed Latin. So. You you mentioned you know you had a collapse lung. You obviously had to deal with a few years in the at the complex league, in part because of you know the pandemic situation. How much do you think that all that adversity is helping you grow as a person and as a player? Um, it's huge. Um, just knowing that, like, I don't even think about my collapse lung really. A lot of people say like you had a lot of adversity to deal with and. In my head, I feel like I didn't, but I guess I do. So it's, it's one of the things that just kind of builds character where I know like I can always arise when adversity hits. And what are kind of your goals, Shane, for the rest of the year? Because you've had a really good season today. What What is most important to you? I'm just maintaining uh, like a good season and just improving and building on this when at the end of the season, I'm I become a better player um, every single day. It's kind of what my goal is. So at the end of the season, um, I can look back, think what I can improve on this offseason, and come back to spring training way better than I am this year. And is there a particular area of the game where you want to see more growth than others? You mentioned, you know, you're you obviously have hit for a high average. You've stolen a lot of bases. They've been really wanting me to hit for a little bit more power, and it's something that I know I can do. So this offseason, I kind of just want to put on weight. A bit more weight, so I can show up to spring training like a little bit, a uh, little, little bit more different, a little bit more built. Well, obviously, you've taken some really good steps overall this year. We congratulate you on what you've done so far. Best of luck to you in Charleston. Hopefully, there's a, a playoff opportunity on the horizon too. And thanks for being with us on this week in race baseball. 
No problem. Thank you so much. And that's Shane Sasaki hitting 300 even for Charleston with 34 stolen bases. He's been caught just twice in a 772 OPS. Coming up, we look back at the trading deadline from multiple angles with the Rays' Eric Neander and Kevin Eibach. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball, and this is the Rays Baseball Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We continue on this week in race baseball, and we're joined by race president of baseball operations, Eric Neander. And Eric, now that you've had a little bit of time to digest what went on at the trading deadline, give us your feel where the club is now better than it was in the days before. I think in terms of where we are now, the position player group, especially with some of the players that we have out due to injury, we've lost a lot of experience. We've lost a lot of established leadership, so to speak. And David Peralta is a really good baseball player that from a distance you can appreciate and then you watch the at-bats you watch the way he plays the game he does a lot of little things very well controls his heartbeat in big situations you know saw him with the runner on third less than two against Toronto the at-bat that he had there you know it's it's stuff like that that um that's it'd be helpful to have a good example like that around that can do those things and for some of our other players to see that so just a solid veteran player that we thought would be of real benefit given the amount of inexperience that we're that we're playing with right now uh, in many areas and then with Jose Siri just an opportunity with a player that hasn't fully established himself at the major league level but a skill set we really appreciate and someone that uh, is a potential everyday center fielder for us for the years to come and so that's a move that is focused some on this year and some hopefully on beyond and like I said Peralta the kind of move to help just fortify and strengthen the group that's trying to make the postseason right now and believe we have the ability to do that and both of those players you know we're mindful of the players we expect to get back not wanting to count on too much but just kind of anticipating how different pieces could fit together feel really good about what that'll look like and that our talent will be north of our record in late August September whatever our record may be how much of the the moves you made also had to do not only with the players you're getting back but acquisition cost because you always talk about the importance of looking at the future, and it probably was going to be hard to protect Seth Johnson and, and Jaden Murray, and obviously Christian Sirtis a, a ways away. Yeah, there's certainly considerations. It's never just about what you're getting, and it's never just about what you're giving up, but uh, those are deals that we thought were fair and responsible, things that could help our major league team now and over the next few years ahead. And Seth and Jaden are two really good arms. Seth, it's going to be a little while, just as he goes through the uh, the Tommy John process but you know it's it's part of it you just got to make the most with with what you have and again we're trying to help make this team better and our team better the next few years and these are moves that that we believe accomplished that and felt that the price to do it was responsible enough to to make it work on that end you did not add pitching at the deadline was that because in essence the cost of acquisition both short and long term was going to be too high based on or was it on the pitchers that you may have coming back off injury yeah I mean obviously anytime we don't you you spend a lot of time understanding the market for just about any player and before that really understanding your evaluation of each player and most of that work doesn't materialize in an action or a trade and so obviously we weren't able to get to a spot of lining up for a variety of reasons but that's just the way it goes. I, I think the pitching side, we feel we feel okay about where we're at. I, you know, you always want more. I think to have a little more length and to deepen that group, you know, that's something that like is always a nice to have. But you know, I, th- I think we have a group that, while they might not be famous, I think they are pretty good, uh, and that's that's something we talk about 
you know, often. You know, it's our job to put a team that's good, not a team that are household names out there. And it's fun to have both sometimes, certainly. But this is a group that's done a really good job all year and, you know, cautiously optimistic that we have some players that are going to be candidates for work uh, August into September. You know, you look at it. You know, Whistler, we should get back here, and uh, he's done a really nice job, bottom line. You look at the results over his time with us. Shagwa, Nick Anderson's throwing the ball really well right now. Yanni Chirino seeing the velocity. Saw the other day he's up to 96 and is looking healthy. You, just, you never know. You, know. you don't want to assume too much, but any number of those guys could be in a position to help us and, again, feel pretty good. The group we have, it's not, the most, it's not a collection of household names, so to speak, but these guys have done a really nice job, and we expect that to continue too. Because run prevention is so important, did Jose Siri become the run prevention that you couldn't find on the pitching side? Yeah, it's it's certainly one way to help. But certainly at the same time, Brett Phillips, the player that, that went out in that, that transaction and that, you know, from a roster standpoint, was a really good defender as well. But it's something where our, our standard for defense, and certainly that position, has we've operated with a high bar out there. And Siri, from all the work that, that we've done on him, you know, sits about as north of that bar as anybody and it's it's important to us to make sure that we do support our pitching with a good defense and find our way to runs and veteran at bats along the way like Peralta too. You're seeking a fourth straight playoff appearance which would be unprecedented for the franchise. Do you think that what you added is enough to get you and and what you currently have and what you have coming back is enough to get you over the hump? Yeah I mean look can't not going to sit here and guarantee anything or proclaim anything and there's a lot of good teams that are that are out there but I can say that if we don't make the postseason we'll be pretty disappointed you know that's that's something that you know the, the division obviously there's there's a pretty big gap there and we recognize that it's not going to change anything whether that gaps what it is or if it was one game the way we're going out and competing every day is going to be the same but this is a group that's more than capable of reaching the postseason and that's our expectation and it's only going to intensify as we get some players back but even as we are we think we have more than enough to to stay in games to compete find our footing find a few more timely hits you know believe the potential is there to do that and like I said our expectation is to play in the postseason believe there's enough here to do that and and that's that's where our focus is how much of the number of players on the 60-day injured list impacted your ability to have flexibility with the roster and may have changed some of the things that you know you could or couldn't do regarding player acquisitions because you've got I think it's 11 on the 60 but you've got a number of those who you expect back yeah we do I I think that certainly um I don't think it had too much of an effect because we still got to do what we got to do to win games now and you can't assume that everybody's gonna hit the ground running and pick up at their previous healthy best I, I don't think that's realistic but you have to factor in that each of them have a chance to do that, certainly. But, you know, I think when you're in a situation like that, you you make moves, you know, the bonus if as you get players back, the players continue to fit, that's great. But if they don't, I think you still need to do what you can to, to strengthen the group as it is and not assume too much. So a minor factor, a consideration, but, um, you know, kind of like 2019 when we brought in some veteran players at the deadline, Aguilar, Sogar, guys like that, a lot of consideration about how does it all fit, you know, as we get healthy and we, as it played out, we never, we never got to, <laughs> to see that. So, you know, just trying to get players that can help us right now and not, not sweat that too much, but it, it, you know, it's a consideration. I would just say a mild one. Did the extra wild card change much in this year's deadline for you? Yeah, it, it, it increases the chances of playing in the postseason. You know, it increases your, your odds of, of getting a spot, no matter how you assess our club or any of the other clubs, it just by definition, it's going to increase the chances. And even I think maybe just you kind of work through it, like playing a best of three versus a best of one. Even that seems a little more fulfilling, you know, in a sense, or maybe, uh, you know, it increases the desire to, to get in there and do it. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think where we are, um, as down as many people as we are, I, I think this is a year where we're not going to complain that an extra spot exists because we're right in the thick of it. And now we're going to do everything we can to end the season with the best record we can. And like I said, our expectation is to, to be playing, playing past the regular season and 
uh, have a team at that point that should be a lot more talented in our record. Did it reduce the number of players, though, available at the deadline, do you think? Yeah, I think for the same reasons, that extra spot's there. and increases the, the odds that, that we got a chance to play in the postseason. It's going to do that for a lot of teams, no matter where you are. And I think that's something where perhaps there are more teams that were kind of hanging around that in the postseason to maybe three, four games back where you're not going to move a free agent to be for at any cost. You're going to maybe set a a really high price. If someone hits it, great. If they don't, you run out the season and you never know what can happen. We have a very recent data point in last year's World Series champion that, that really speaks to that. Yeah, I think it it may have limited the inventory on the market or changed some of the, the pricing, so to speak, on, on free agents to be that dampened some of the movement, but still haven't had a chance to go through to really process everything that, that's happened outside of uh, the work we've done here. But sure seemed like there were a lot of transactions that still went down. You brought up Peralta and the veteran factor. Has the struggle of all the youngsters, by and large, been due to the fact that all of the injuries have pushed them into a very more important spot? Or do we get back to the fact that they lost all of 20 in most cases and part of 21 and had a short ramp-up this year? 2020, I don't think, is, has, has much to do with it, really. I think the year collectively that our, our franchise had last year, you know, probably speaks to just the quality of work and making the most of 2020 uh, in games or behind the scenes. They, they did a wonderful job um, with all that they showed last year. So I, I don't think 2020 is a factor. Would some of the guys on a 40-man that have no major league time and, and lost that communication, lost that guidance, lost that, that prep work this past offseason due to the lockout, was that a factor? Maybe, but I think more than, more than anything, as high as we are on a lot of the players that, that have received opportunity this year for the first time or, or just very early in their careers, it's hard. You know, it, it's a really, really hard game to play at the major league level. And a few guys, even the really good ones, hit the ground running with their first opportunity. And and so, like, individually, each of these cases, I don't think any of them are surprised. It doesn't really change much about our, our long-term beliefs and in each player, they're all putting the work in. They're doing the best they can. The the challenge is when you got, you know, on a given day, you could have, you know, we were talking about one time. It was like I think it was like Boz, you know, has had a handful of starts in the big leagues. Throwing to Pinto, you know, Aranda's on the field, Paredes is on the field, Walls is on the field, Josh is on the field, Josh Lowe, like, and on and on. Bruhan, it's just a lot to it's a lot to put on them when there's that many and. You know, you don't have a, a collection of established players that can kind of protect them a little bit and take some of the attention off them. So it's it's hard to establish yourself. It's probably harder when you have a bunch trying to do it at the same time and you're trying to win games all at once. So, But that is what it is. Uh, they all have had opportunity and does take time to find your footing, and you got to stay with them. Uh, you never know when that light's going to come on. And, you know, in the case of someone like Isak Paredes, this was his third major league opportunity. He had a crack in 20, he had a crack in 21, and now finally in 22, he's, he seems to be finding himself. And that's a really talented player, just like these guys are, and their time will come. But we're trying to win games, and the opportunity to bring in someone like Peralta, where been there, done that, when it comes to just being a contributing major league player. He has that validation just to take a little bit of the pressure off of some of our younger players. That's, that's a big deal in and of itself, and it'll help the other ones that are still getting opportunity. Here's to that happening a lot down the stretch, Eric. We appreciate some time on this weekend raise baseball. All right. Thanks, Neil. And hopefully we got a couple good months ahead of us and then some. And that's Rays president of baseball operations, Eric Neander, now joining us to discuss the moves the Rays made that impacted the rest of the 40-man roster is Kevin Eibach. Kevin, I guess you moved some players you may not have been able to protect this offseason while also adding some depth. Yeah, thanks, Neil, for having me. I think, you know, recapping the deadline for us, it was as much about roster management trying to add value to the team, certainly for 2022 and for the next two months, hopefully leading leading up to another playoff run, but also managing the amount of bodies we have on the on the 40-man roster, getting ahead of some moves that we might have to make in the offseason, you know, and then also with the, with the cachet of injured players that should be coming back, hopefully here in the next two or three weeks, just staying ahead of moves to open up roster spots for those players. So had to juggle a lot of different balls in the air, um, you know, over the over the last week to get to this point, but pretty satisfied how, how everything turned out and some of the additions we were able to make. So let's look at that first from a subtraction standpoint, Ford Proctor, Seth Johnson, 
Jaden Murray, obviously those guys were decent prospects, but also they all had to be protected uh, or already were on the 40-man, and it might have been difficult to do so this offseason? Sure, Neil. I, mean, I think some of those were really unique cases. So take Ford Proctor, for example, came up to the organization as a middle infielder. We converted him to a catcher a year ago. We knew it was going to be more than a 12-month process. Unfortunately, with the Rule 5 timeline, he had to go on the 40-man roster. And Ford had a really good season last year in Montgomery with the bat as he was learning uh, the nuances of catching. So he was added to the roster uh, in the offseason, knowing full well that he probably wouldn't serve his major league insurance right out of the chute. We've obviously had some catching injuries this year with Mike Zanino being the big one. And we needed the uh, depth of catcher. Uh, that we were able to add. So Rene Pinto has, has done a very nice job coming up and filling in there. But Ford was really never an option for us to uh, provide that immediacy of depth. Um, it was more of a longer play. And so here we are, you know, at the end of July and looking towards the future, you know, he's taken up a 40-man roster spot. We still believe in, in Ford the hitter and Ford the catcher, but we knew it was going to be a longer process. And I think just with the different roster constrictions that were going on at the time, um, it just made more sense to to go ahead and trade him for, uh, for some value. Uh, Seth Johnson, you mentioned, was another one. Seth was a, you know, was a great pitching prospect coming out of the draft force, a, a conversion himself from an infielder coming out of college. So his path was a little delayed just with that conversion. And then he is headed towards Tommy John's surgery. So knowing that he had to get added to the 40-man roster this offseason presented a unique challenge of, of how do you add somebody who, who we certainly like, but also would be rehabbing that Tommy John surgery all of next season. So, you know, there was, there's a lot of interest out there in Seth, just given the talent, but something we had to consider if we could move him for a piece that would help us, uh, you know, more in the short term here. And then with the additions you made, added some current depth, Jimmy Yacobonis most recently on a waiver claim, but also Garrett Clevenger, who was involved in a previous trade, just not to the race. Sure. You know, I think adding and fortifying the, the bullpen is something that we always uh, keep our mind in. I know last year we were able to sign David Robertson coming back from the Olympics uh, a little bit later in August, and he played an integral part, you know, going down the stretch there for us. And I think injuries are so unpredictable, and we, we've certainly been snake bit to some extent this year with bullpen injuries. We have a group of those relievers that knock on wood are coming back and are performing well in their rehab stints. Uh, but you can never have too much bullpen depth. It's really hard to add after August 2nd. So trying to get ahead of that uh, was the main driver to go out and get Clevenger before the deadline. We had conversations with Miami on Yacobonis for about the last week and uh, just couldn't line up on, on fair value there, knowing that he was designated for assignment, eventually going to hit waivers. So we rolled the dice there that we would be able to win a claim. And unfortunately, we did. And then beyond that, you also have kind of claimed some guys, passed them through waivers that either could help you now or if you manage to hold on to them for future years, whether it's what Angel Perdomo, Cooper Criswell, those are probably a couple of the names that come to mind. Perdomo and Criswell are, are interesting in the fact that we were able to claim them on waivers, so they hit our 40-man roster. Uh, we were able to get them through waivers once we had them, and they both have uh, Criswell. In Criswell's case, he has an extra year of control, so he could help us next year. Uh, Perdomo, all, all he's done since we've acquired him is, is strike out batters at Durham, so uh, we're fortunate that we were able to clear him off the roster and retain him. I know I know both him and someone like Javi Guerra, who everyone has seen um, at varying points this year, are really interesting power arms um, that, even though they're not on the 40-man roster, could certainly play uh, play a part down the stretch here for us. So, Kevin, tell me what you guys do from here now forward. Obviously, I know you could be scouting teams later on in September that if you're if you're still, let's say, in a playoff position. But before that, are you keeping an eye on your group? Are you keeping an eye on other prospects involving teams you had discussions with that didn't advance? What's the focus point here in the month of August? August is a very unique month for us. I try to at least give the guys a 48 hour breather, you know, all the hard work that they put in all year to get us in position to make moves at the deadline. I think the quick timeout for them is certainly deserved, but we're going to get back at it after this weekend and uh, head back on the road and, and try to see some prospects that are off roster. I don't know if many fans know this, but you can trade prospects uh, that are not on the 40 man roster or were not on the 40 man roster at any point this year. So even though these deals are often tough to line up, we can add a another AAA arm or a AAA bat. We could make a prospect for prospect exchange. So I think every year we we do our due diligence to try to make to make sure we're in position to make those trades. It's not a it's not a popular concept around baseball, but it, it, at least with us, 
I, I think that we do our part to try to be in position to make those trades. So we'll be scouring, especially the AAA landscape in the next couple of weeks, looking for those off roster additions, picking up where we left off with some of the prospect uh, below AAA, you know, contingent there. We're going to take a look at those guys. And I think the uniqueness of what we're trying to do this year in August is the last couple of years with the draft being moved back to mid-July, a lot of those players don't make their pro debuts until the calendar turns into August here. So even though those players are not eligible to be traded prior to the end of the season, we see more and more instances every year where those players are traded in November, December, January, and we have to put ourselves in good positions to see how, how they go out and perform. So it's, it's a little bit of a shorter calendar from their debut that some of these guys only end up with five or 10 innings pitched or only a handful of plate appearances by the end of the year. But it's a really integral part to our offseason to be able to kind of get ahead of the industry with those players. Because you'll see every year examples of players that were drafted, say, after the 10th round for a minimal dollar investment that go out and do really well for a, for a small sample size, you know, in short season baseball or at low A. And I think if we feel comfortable with our evaluations on those players from their shorter pro sample, it allows us to be in position to trade for them, you know, here in a couple months. And that would certainly help because you guys have, in essence, 51 players on your 40-man right now. Why I say that is you've got a 40-man roster, but you've got 11 players on the 60-day IL who eventually will have to come off, whether it's during this season or at the end of the year. And then you've got other guys you may want to protect. Yep, and then I think that's – it's a – Blessing and a curse sometimes, having having some of the depth that we do. I think we pride ourselves in being deep one through 40, or, or as you said, beyond 40 in this case because of our 60 IL placements. But certainly it presents roster challenges. And just to get ahead of that, like we did at the deadline, like we inevitably are going to have to do over this month and then heading into the offseason, just to be able to retain as much depth as we can while also the, the players that don't make the cut and that we have to move on from being able to get something in return for them um, that can help us at some point down the road. Kevin, great stuff. Go refresh, and we appreciate some time on this week in Rays Baseball. Great. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate you. And that's the Rays' Kevin Eibach, who is head of pro scouting and pro personnel, a pretty important person overall. Special thanks to him and all of our guests on the show today, Jalen Beeks, Rays pitcher, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, prospect Shane Sasaki, as well as president of baseball operations, Eric Neander. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. On next week's show, we're going to hear from very entertaining uh, P, uh, reliever Pete Fairbanks and a whole lot more. Special thanks today to my producer, Derek Dubose. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. We're getting set for the pregame show. Rays trying to win a series in Detroit against the Tigers. have taken two of the first three. We'll have all the play-by-play for you as well. Thanks for being with us, and thanks for joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front, four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.